Welcome to Tanakh Daily, a Congregation Ahavas Torah initiative. Today, we are studying the second parak of Shmuel Bet. Shaul has died, David has mourned him and his son Yonatan, and now it stands to reason that David should seize the throne of Israel, which is, after all, rightly his. But David continues to have remarkable discipline. He acts in a way that is remarkably measured and circumspect. And instead of just ascending to the throne with some grand gesture and show of force, David is, uh, is careful. He, he asks Hashem. He turns to God through the ephod, through a kohen, and he asks whether he should go back to the land of Israel, specifically to the cities of Yehuda. You'll recall that right now, David is in Siklak. He's in Plishti lands. And Hashem tells him that he should indeed go back, should go back to Hebron, which is what David does. People of Yehuda are immediately uh, willing to recognize David as their king. David is from Yehuda, after all, so they are natural allies. But the rest of the nation proves more complex. Those in the north, those in the east. Before we discuss the challenge to David's rule, the uh, the alternative ruler that uh, that some of the of the nation will adopt, let's look at David's first act as king, king of the south, at least. He reaches out to the people of Yavesh Gilad, who had. When we last met them, they had secretly recovered Shaul's body after he was killed, and they buried it. David commends them for doing this. He tells them they did a good thing. He assures them that he will treat them kindly, and he asks for their allegiance. Now, let's unpack this. Why is this David's first move? We're talking about a city located in the Transjordan, not the most critical or strategic city in Israel. So so what's David doing here? Firstly, by reaching out to, uh, to the people of Yavesh Gilad, uh, people that are obviously have demonstrated that they are loyal to Shaul and would presumably be loyal to Shaul's descendants, David is, is trying to demonstrate that as a king, he's not looking to uh, undertake reprisals against anyone who is associated with Shaul. He's not looking for, for revenge. What David is looking for, for at this point is to mend fences and move forward. It was a, a kind gesture. It was extending an olive branch to the people of Yavesh Gilad and beyond, meaning it's a, it's a signal to everyone who was a, a Shaul loyalist that David's not going to try to avenge his years of humiliation and torment at the hands of Shaul. And so that's one reason why this was his first move as king. And secondly, and a little bit less altruistically, it's also just a, a great political move because the people of Yavesh Gilad, as I said, they... Uh, are loyalists to Shaul. Shaul was the one who galvanized all the support of Israel to fight against Nachash, who was threatening the people of Yavesh Gilad. They feel so loyal to Shaul. And so by trying to appease them, proactively address them, uh, David is trying to win over their support. They're the most hardened opposition to David as king. And so this was just a politically astute gesture. The first thing David tries to do is try to win over uh, his uh, most uh, hardened opposition. And so, I, and I think these are both correct. It was this magnanimous gesture and a politically astute one at the same time. When it comes to David Amelech, we often find these two things overlap. Often, he's, he does something that you could read as being both pious and very politically astute. And that's certainly the case here. The people of Yavish Gilad do not warm to David's words, though. There's no response here, and it's clear from the continuation that they are going to oppose David's kingship. We learn that Avner, You'll recall he served as Shaul's general. He takes Shaul's son, Ishbosheth, and he makes him the king after Shaul's death. I use that language advisedly based on the Pasuk. Ishbosheth didn't 
take power. He didn't seize power. Avner made him the king. It's clear that Ishboshet is not really the primary actor here. It's Avner, the general, who's making things happen. In fact, Ishboshet is tellingly totally absent from the rest of the events of the Perek, seems quite passive, and it's really Avner, so obviously, who's the driving force behind the uh, emergence of the northern kingdom in opposition to David in the south, in the southern kingdom in Yehuda. And now there seems to be something of a cold war between these two factions, between the north and the south, until one day Avner is uh, taking a band of his troops from the north, from the northern kingdom, Ishbosheth, the Shaul kingdom, and Yoav, David's general, uh, is likewise taking a, a band of his men, and they meet near the pool of Givon. And they're both uh, lounging or sitting around that pool. I don't think it was quite, you know, lounging like in a country club. Um, but the, the, the two band of, bands of men are, are stationed there, and Avner suggests that the men wrestle with each other, that they, for, for sport. Minimally, this was pure sport. This was just for uh, entertainment, a kind of healthy sense of, uh, uh, of competition. But likely, at least, there's much more here, that, that, that the wrestling was meant to be some sort of proxy for the whole conflict between the two kings. Meaning, just like, for example, David fights Goliath, and that's meant to be a stand-in for the broader fight between the Plishtim and B'nai Israel here too, uh, it could be that the fight between these men was supposed to be a, a, a symbolic of a broader conflict, maybe instead of a broader conflict. But the, and the fact that each of the camps put forth 12 men to fight is highly suggestive that they were wrestling to determine the control over the 12 tribes, that this was a, a loaded event. In any case, they, they tussle with each other and it, and it quickly escalates to out-and-out violence and all of the 24 participants kill one another, which leads to then a, a yet broader battle between the northern and the southern kingdom. We learn then that Asael, who is Yoav, David's general, uh, he's Yoav's brother, he goes and he tries to pursue Avner, but Avner ends up killing him. Yoav and the surviving brother, Avishai, then run after Avner, who is protected by a unit of soldiers from Binyamin, who were obviously uh, the most fiercely loyal to Shaul. Uh, and uh, and and um, now Ishbosheth as well. So this is the loyalists from Binyamin. That's the tribe that Shaul is from, uh, and Ishbosheth is from. They're now surrounding. They're protecting Avner. And it seems that uh, Yoav and Avishai are going to lead a battle against the, this uh, group of, of soldiers from Binyamin. It looks like a, a big battle, a bloody battle, is about to unfold, but. Avner manages to kind of walk Yoav off the, off the ledge. He tells him, he asks him rhetorically, how long is this going to go on? Are we going to fight forever? And Yoav and his men stand down, and everyone kind of goes back to their camps. And, uh, and that's p- pretty much the end of the parak. So there was this near miss on, a, on, a, on an even broader conflict. Now, we're told in the course of the parak that... Uh, David loses from his forces 20 men, that's including Asael, and Avner slash Ishbosheth lose 360 men, which tells us two things. Firstly, it tells us that David and his men are much more successful in this exchange between, uh, uh, between them and Avner, but it also tells us that the fighting that takes place is fairly limited. 
It's not thousands and thousands of men that have died in this civil war. It seems to be pretty limited. And, uh, and of course, that's, that's very good. We don't want a broader, uh, a broader conflict. And I think that the, the, the possibility of this conflict becoming much bigger and much bloodier is, uh, is really what makes this parak so tense. We're, we're flirting with a, a, a huge civil war. And elevating that sense of fear, elevating our, uh, our nervousness that this is going to become a, a terrible civil war is the, is the story of Pilegesh Begiva that I believe is floating in the background of this whole narrative, of this whole parak. How is it floating in the background? Uh, the parak begins by drawing our attention to the story of Pilegesh Begiva. Why? Because it, it references the people of Yavesh Gilad. Why were the people of Yavesh Gilad loyal to Shaul? It wasn't just because Shaul saved Nachash. That's, that's, uh, saved them from Nachash. That's true. But you need to dig deeper here. There's a broader plot line and context here. Why was Shaul their natural ally? It's because during the civil war between Sheva and Yemen, where Shaul is from, uh, and the rest of the tribes, who didn't participate? The people of Yavesh Gilad. So the two, the Shevet Binyamin and, and Shaul on the one side, and Yavesh Gilad were natural partners. And that's why they, they worked together. They were natural allies. And that, that allyship, that, that alignment, continues to have reverberations until this parak. And so that's why David's very first act is reaching out to the people of Yavesh Gilad and trying to, uh, uh, trying to win them over. But it, it brings us right back to the Pilegesh Begiva story. It's one long narrative. We just have to see how it's all strung together. That's one element that reminds us of the Pilegesh Begiva story. And then we are again reminded of the story once more in an even more powerful and substantive way when Yoav and Avishai are pursuing Avner, who is protected by warriors of Binyamin. And, and this, is, this is the critical moment of the Perak. Avner calls out and says, are you going to fight us? Are you going to uh, escalate this into out-and-out civil war? What's that? What's the danger? The danger is that, this is, that they're on the brink of, of having another Pilegesh Begiva moment where you have the whole nation fighting against Binyamin, right? It's a, it's a, repeat, it's a repeat of that moment. People of Binyamin are, are, about, are, are surrounded. They're about to fight with, uh, with, um, with Yoav and, and, and Avishai and all of their men. And, and Avner says... Are, are, are we really going to do this again? Right? What's the again? The again is are really really going to have another Pilegish Begiva moment? And the answer could have been yes, but thankfully Yoav and Avishai, despite uh, their passion and, and anger in this moment, because Afner killed their brother, nonetheless, that that talks sense into them, and they stand down. And we end the Perek breathing a sigh of relief that we don't go back to this dark chapter in our history. And I just, I find this so fascinating because you know when we learned Pilegish Begiva. Uh, months ago. So the story is so dark and people really just, you know, you, we just want to get past it and move on to happier, more inspiring or interesting parts of, uh, of, of, of Tanakh. It's such, a, it's such a dark story. And, and when we learn it in school, we don't learn it. When we learn Sefer Shoftim in middle school or, or high school, we skip over Pilagish Begiva. But uh, if you skip over this story, you, you miss so much because as we continue to see, it's, the story of Pilagish Begiva is a critical story. And it's one that casts a long shadow that continues to inform events for a long, long time after those dark events had passed. That's it for today. Chazak ve'ematz and happy learning.